Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. On today's show, we'll dive into the mysteries that surround a small town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. But first, we're going to do something a little different. I have a short story that I'd like to tell you, but to find out if it's true you have to stick around to the end of the episode. So, let's begin, shall we? In 1885, a gentleman went to his mailbox, and inside was a letter from his brother. The only problem was, his brother had been dead for the past 13 years. Now, even more creepier than that, is the contents of what the letter contained. The letter said that his brother had become mentally ill and that he was coming to pay him a visit. Well, this shook the old man up so much that he immediately raced to the graveyard and dug up where his brother had been buried, opened the coffin, and inside, nothing. The coffin was completely empty. Stick around to the end of the show to find out if that was real or not. Pretty creepy, huh? Now, on with the show. It's one thing for creepy events to unfold just outside our line of sight but it's a completely different world when it happens right in front of our faces our story today is one that had captured the entire nation at one point so let's take a deep dive into the legend of the mothman enjoy in november Of 1966, some strange events began to unfold near Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The first sighting was dated November 12th, when five grave diggers who were digging a fresh grave all looked up and saw what they called a, quote, brown human being, end quote, flying over their heads. A few days later, on November 15th, Roger and Linda Scarberry, along with friends Steve and Mary Millette, told authorities that they had spotted something quite difficult to explain. The couples who had been out for a drive told local authorities that they were driving near an area just outside of town known as the TNT area, which had been the former site of a World War II munitions facility now decommissioned. The couples claimed that as they were driving away from the munitions facility, they encountered a white creature standing nearly seven feet tall with large red eyes and an impressive wingspan standing near the side of the road. They took notice that the entity was following their vehicle as they made their way down the road. The couples would later tell local newspaper 
that whatever this thing was seemed to fly at speeds of about 100 miles per hour. The couples also told police that its eyes glowed red when flashed by the vehicle's headlights. This was just the start of something much bigger in the sleepy little town of Point Pleasant. Reports of this creature started to occur in other places that night. Newell Partridge, who lived over in Salem, nearly 90 miles from Point Pleasant, began watching TV when the screen went completely black. He said a weird pattern took the place of the dark on the television screen, and he began to hear a loud whining noise coming from outside. Partridge compared the sound to that of a generator. Bandit, who was Partridge's dog, was on the front porch and was howling. Newell grabbed the flashlight and made his way outside. Bandit was eyeing the barn nearly 150 yards from the home. Partridge shined the light and caught what he described as two bicycle reflectors in the light. Partridge was chilled to the bone. Bandit gave chase toward the creature in the dark. Partridge tried to sway the dog, but Bandit was too quick and hot on the trail. Partridge raced inside to grab his shotgun, but he soon discovered that he was in fact too scared to leave the home. He went to bed with his gun propped against his bedpost. The next morning, Bandit had yet to return. Two days later, Bandit was still missing, but that was when Partridge read the newspaper only to discover that what he had seen had been spotted in Point Pleasant the same night his dog went missing. One statement he read in the paper scared him so terribly bad. Roger Scarberry, remember him, said that when they entered the city limits later that night to Point Pleasant, they spotted a large dog lying on the side of the road, but then a few minutes later on the way out of town, the dog was gone. Roger would go on to say that they even stopped to try and locate the dog, but he was nowhere to be found. Immediately, Partridge thought of Bandit, who was never seen again. County Sheriff George Johnson says he believed what people were seeing was a larger-than-normal heron that he coined a shite poke. Wildlife biologists from West Virginia University informed the media that the sightings and descriptions all matched that of the sandhill crane. The sandhill crane is a large bird, nearly the height of a man, with a seven-foot wingspan and reddish-colored eyes. The biologists from the university believed that the crane had somehow slowly wandered out of its migration route and thus alarming locals and residents as this bird was not native to the area. Newspapers would go on to dub this unknown being as the Mothman and sightings and stories would continue well into the following year. Those that had an encounter with the Mothman claimed that they were left with a sense of dread or impending doom. 
Some of the locals believed that the Mothman had come from a vacant nuclear plant outside of town. Maybe this was some sort of government experiment gone awry. The Mothman sightings continued well into December 1967 when they halted abruptly. The bridge was known as an I-bar chain suspension bridge and was built in 1928. It was named for the color of the aluminum paint that was used. The silver bridge carried U.S. Route 35 over the Ohio River, which connected West Virginia with Ohio. It was on December 15th that the silver bridge collapsed under the enormous weight of the rush hour traffic. The tragedy killed 46 people, two of which were never found. Deeper investigation shows that the root cause was the failure of a single eye bar in a chain which had found to have a defect 0.1 inches deep or 2.5 millimeters. It was also discovered that the bridge had not been properly maintained and was carrying much more heavier loads than what it was designed to carry. The Silver Bridge was replaced with the Silver Memorial Bridge in 1969. One theory even suggests that it was a sonic boom from a massive flap from the Mothman's wings that did the bridge in. In 1975, writer John Keel wrote a book entitled The Mothman Prophecies. Keel suggests that the Mothman sightings were bad omens and were warnings to the townspeople of Point Pleasant. John Keel's book would later be turned into a movie, The Mothman Prophecies, starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney. The movie took the local legend and blasted the Mothman onto the national stage. The town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia has fully embraced its celebrity resident by rolling out the red carpet for a Mothman festival that first began back in 2002, erecting a 12-foot Mothman metallic statue in 2003, and celebrating the grand opening of the Mothman Museum and Research Center in 2005. Mothman mania was indeed in full swing, but the story doesn't end here. But to understand the full story of the Mothman, we have to take a step back to take a giant leap forward. November 2nd, 1966 was a long day. And for Woodrow Derenberger, it was a particularly long day. You see, Woodrow made a living by selling sewing machines and he was on his way home after a long work day. Around 7 p.m., he was coming along a hill on I-77 near Parkersburg. One of the sewing machines Woodrow was carrying had become dislodged in the back of his vehicle, and instead of risking the chance of it being destroyed, he quickly pulled onto the shoulder of the highway. Woodrow quickly situated the sewing machine and got back in his vehicle and back on the road. A short moment later, a car passed Woodrow and pulled over into the lane he was traveling. The car began to slow down in front of the vehicle Woodrow was driving until it came to a complete stop in the middle of the busy highway. Woodrow was now worried 
as he had stopped in the middle of the highway because of this car in front of him, but his worry quickly faded as he noticed this wasn't a car before him at all. The strange craft in front of Woodrow appeared to be in the shape of an old kerosene lamp with flared edges and a center bulge. A man exited the craft. Woodrow described him as having a deep tan, dark swept back hair and an extraordinarily broad grin. The man made his way over to Woodrow. As he made his way over, Woodrow could tell the man was wearing an overcoat and what appeared to be a metal-looking uniform that was green in color and shined when the light hit it. The man introduced himself as Indrid Cold. He informed Woodrow that he was all flesh and blood and in no way special. In fact, he described where he came from as less powerful than the United States. Indrid Cold proceeded to encourage Woodrow to report this meeting to the authorities. Before making his departure, Indrid told Woodrow that this would be the first of many meetings between the two. One thing Woodrow noticed about this one-sided conversation was that Indrid Cold not once opened his mouth to speak an utter word. The entire message had been delivered to Woodrow through some sort of telepathic ability. Indrid returned to his vehicle and left, but true to his word, more encounters followed. Woodrow would be repeatedly visited by the mysterious Indrid Cold, and in some instances, Indrid brought along friends. Indrid explained to Woodrow that he came from a planet called Lanulos, which was over 14 light years away from Earth and resided in the Ganymede galaxy. The planet had three seasons, planting, harvest, and cold. Indrid explained to Woodrow that Lanulos was founded by people from Earth who ventured there by spaceship. This, of course, would indicate that space travel was possible before the 20th century. Cold explained that the knowledge of space travel had become lost for a very long time and was only now rediscovered. Ingrid Cole would tell Woodrow all about his planet. The residents of Lanulos are religious, believing in one God above all. They speak their very own native tongue, but also communicate telepathically. They live in peace with no war or turmoil. The Lanulos government is made up of a 56-person council where members are elected on a six-month cycle. Woodrow says that people are void of clothes and that when upon first visit, he received a lot of stares until he adapted to the culture. Marriage was common among the residents of Lanulos, and when they marry, that couple is now called United. The male refers to his female as Union, and the female refers to her male as United. Children are put through a long education system and are sent as soon as they can distinguish good from evil. 
Most people live to be 125 to 175 years old on Lanulos in Earth time. The Lanulosians wished to engage in business trade with Earth, but the government could not guarantee their safety. Indrid Cold claimed to have been peppered with a shotgun a time or two. Lanulos has never been verified as a planet. However, Capex wasn't discovered until someone claiming to be from there told the Earthlings where it was. Just saying. Woodrow Derenberger would publish his account of the planet of Lanulos in his book, Visitors from Lanulos, in 1971. Derenberger would even tell his story to John Keel, who supposedly, during his investigations of the story, kept receiving phone calls from someone calling himself Indrid Cold. Even stranger, Woodrow Derenberger was not the only person to report an appearance from a sinister-looking, grinning man that night. That very same night, on the very same road, two other men saw an elongated object land in front of their vehicle. They were also forced to stop, and they watched as a man disembarked and headed their way. He wore a dark coat and folded both arms in such a way that could be considered uncomfortable. He asked both men questions that seemed pointless to them before the man returned to the craft and subsequently took off. This leaves me with some questions. First, who was Indrid Cold? Was he connected to the Mothman? Were they one in the same? Were these events omens of what the future held? If so, why didn't Cold tell Derenberger of what would happen and the lives that could have been spared? Were they in fact friend or foe? I'll let you be the judge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for another episode of the Southern Spectre podcast. And as I promised at the beginning of the show, I would let you know if the story I told was in fact true or not. Well, it is true that in 1885, a gentleman went to his mailbox and found a letter from his dead brother. It is also true that inside the letter, his brother told him, that he had become mentally unstable and was on his way to visit. And it's also true that this shook the poor man so much that he went to the graveyard and dug up his dead brother. And it's also true that when he opened the coffin, his brother was not in there. That was the extent of the story that I could find. I searched everywhere for this, uh, but it seems to be uh, kind of like one of those little tall tales kind of passed from generation to generation but in fact it is true whatever became of the gentleman who received the letter or his brother i guess we'll never know i hope you all enjoyed this 
episode of the Southern Inspector Podcast, and I hope you tune in again next time to see what we have to lay out on the table and dissect. So who knows? I want to wish each and every one of you well, and this is just seems like day by day it just gets crazier and crazier out there. And just just hang on, everybody. Just hang on. We'll get off this crazy carousel one day. But until then, y'all stay spooky. Don't let the man get you down. Mi casa, su casa. Make it like a high, make a honey hole. Y'all stay safe. Be careful. Love each other. And I love you guys. Take care. Hey guys, if you like what you're listening to right now, go to TikTok and look up the name Warren P. That's W-A-R-R-E-N-P-E-A-Y. Warren P. Also go follow Warren at uh, Colston underscore King underscore 20. Uh, That's C-O-L-S-T-O-N underscore K-I-N-G underscore two zero. Uh, Warren's the gentleman that wrote and that song. He come over to the house. He played it. He we recorded it, and I mean, it, he did a phenomenal job. And I'm just ever so pleased with it. Um, so thank you, Warren, for a brand new uh, little bit of a theme song there for me. Warren said the name of that song is called "The Gates." I love that name. Awesome. Um, but definitely go check out his videos on TikTok. He does a phenomenal job. And if you think he can play, just wait till you hear him sing. He's a great God-gifted young man, and I can't be, you know, happier with what he's done for me. And definitely go check out his videos. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. All right, guys. Later.